0: Welcome to the Planet MicroCap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to our recently launched Substack, the Planet MicroCap newsletter, for free at microcapnewsletter.substack.com. I'll be sharing all recent podcast episodes from Planet Microcap and Due Diligence. Plus every Sunday, I put out our weekly Microcap Wrap to show how the Microcap space is performed every week and compared to the broader markets based on data from the Microcap Review Index. Again, to subscribe, go to microcapnewsletter.substack.com. Quite a bit of content that we actually have uh, put out there from Planet Microcap. Um, we just published the Q2 20- 2022 issue of the microcap review, which you will also be able to get access to on microcap uh, as well as that microcapreview.com and also the direct link through Scribd, as well as uh, we're going to be reconstituting the uh, the uh, uh, index um, uh, very, very shortly as well for Q3 2022. So be sure to subscribe to that Substack. That's where you're going to get all the updates on everything. So again, that's microcapnewsletter.substack.com. Now, for this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Sharon Wang. She's the Senior Investment Analyst at Pender Fund. We originally met when Sharon moderated a panel titled Microcap Technology Growth Companies at our virtual event in December 2021, which I highly recommend checking out that panel. And I wanted to get to know Sharon and her investing philosophy a bit better. Assuming that you've been following the news or better yet, seeing the performance from the microcap review index, the broader markets have been taking a bit of a shellacking with microcaps taking the brunt of this beatdown. With all this in mind, the best investors see market drawdowns as a chance to find and or add to quality positions. That's what Sharon and I discussed today, what she looks for and her small and microcap criteria during market drawdowns. Thank you again for tuning into episode 232 of the Planet MicroCat podcast. And please enjoy my conversation with Sharon Wang. This episode is brought to you by Stream by Alpha Sets. Streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Welcome back, everyone, to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft, B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me right now is someone who actually hosted an amazing panel at our most recent virtual event back in December. I highly recommend going to check that out. And uh, I I wanted to have her on for for a one-on-one interview because I want to understand a little bit more about her background and and, uh, her investing style and all, all that good stuff. So, with that, I'd like to introduce Sharon Wang. She is the Senior Investment Analyst at Pender Fund. Sharon, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing?
1: Good, thank you. Um, thank you for having me here.
0: It's great to have you on. Um, you know, During that panel, we didn't get a chance to, to get into your background or anything like that. So can you, can you start us off with where your passion for investing began and, and how you got to where you're at today?
1: Sure. Um, I wish I could tell you an um, inspiring story of how I started buying my first stock when I was 12. The reality is, no, <laughs> I didn't know what stock was at age of 12. Um, I was born and raised in China. No idea of where, like, what um, a stock exchange looks like. No idea of Wall Street or Main Street. Um, you know, at that time, um, the concept of investing was still very foreign. Um, not like today, you know, because um, before COVID, I went to um, the uh, AGM of Berkshire. Uh, bookstore house away and um i saw like a couple of uh, young kids from china asking questions uh, to warren and charlie in full english and i was like wow they know what they want to do in the future um but at my time i didn't know <laughs> um, so my only goal at the time when i was a teenager was um i have to study hard and get into one of the top universities at universities in China so I could have a bright uh, future. So I did that and I got really high um, marks um, at the national entrance exam. Um, and um, I got into one of the top universities. And I still don't know what I wanted to do. So after I graduated from university, I um, uh, tried a couple of different things, um, like journalism, um, and then figured out if that was not really my thing and um, and then uh, i decided to give a uh, finance a try because one of my friends uh, she really loved it and, and she always talking about it so i'm like okay i'm gonna try it and that actually opened the door and i did find my path there and uh, i started to love it um so i got into the master of science uh, program uh, in finance um and um i just loved it i wanted to uh, know more about it and um, um, set my heart on, on, on the investment career. So I guess part of the thing is my um, personality because I'm naturally a very curious person. And this whole idea of investing, you know, um, looking at different companies, talking to different people, meeting team, and know what they do and why they do what they do, and what works and what does not work. Um, this whole, you know, um, reading, digging, researching really excites me. And make me feel good. So that's how I actually uh, landed in this investment land. And I guess the whole point is, um, you know, you don't really necessarily need to figure out what you want to do at a very early stage. Maybe not at 12, not at 20, maybe. But uh, once you figure it out, it's never too late to pursue your passion.
0: Sure. Give yourself a little credit. Okay. That was a very inspiring story and and how you got to where you are. Okay. That, that was, that was fantastic. And, you know, I just, uh, I I can only hope that everyone, you know, is doing something that uh, they're as passionate about as you are. Right. Um, And so, you know, as I said in the intro, you're, 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 you're now at Pender Fund. You joined the team, I think in 2013. So how did that, how, how did this all come about?
1: Yeah, it's actually a very long story. Um, so David Barr, um, the CEO and portfolio manager, um, at Panda and also my partner, he gave my first job in investment <laughs> when I first moved to Vancouver, uh, in 20, in 2007. Um, at the time I was fresh out of school, no experience. Um, I didn't know anybody, no connection and LinkedIn and those, you know, platform didn't virtually not really very common. Right. So what I did is I Googled um asset managers in vancouver and um, found a few names and i sent resumes to them and to make my cover lighter looks more interesting i actually borrowed uh, one of the uh, statements from a, a local commercial saying bold make it happen i guess they really like that so i got an interview and uh, we uh we liked each other and uh, at the time uh, Panda Fund was not a, a mutual fund business. So Dave actually started the mutual fund business back in 2009. That was 2007. Uh, he was managing a uh, venture uh, capital fund at the time. And um, it, it was like pretty small, like a tiny, and they only had uh, a temporary <laughs> analyst position. But I was happy to, you know, get into the door and, and learn. And Dave was a uh, Dave has been a wonderful mentor uh, for me. So I, I went there for a few months before the as the term expired, and they didn't have a full time position because the fund itself was trying to figure out where it's going to be. Right. So um, I found another job at a local um, Southside brokerage firm as a research associate. So um, I worked there for five years, and um, so Dave. At the same time, I kept in touch with with Dave, and he he started his um the beauty fund business in 2009 and in 2013 the fund started to scale and he really need an analyst because he doesn't have an analyst just himself so um he reached out to me and um i was thrilled to uh, to have this opportunity because i feel i'm you know it's time for me to have a change and um on the buy side you probably are going to get exposures to uh, a broader um, sectors and, and companies, not as sales that you only focus on one sector most most of the time. So I feel like that's a great opportunity, and I really love to work with Dave again. So that's when I joined, and um, nine years later, I'm still here, and, and um, I'm looking forward to many more years to come.
0: Absolutely. Dave is the best. Uh, you know, we've had him on the pod and he also moderated a panel at our recent sh- uh, show too. Yeah. And uh, so Dave, Dave's great. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, you guys found each other in, in this <laughs> and able to, to to grow Pender Fund to what it is today, right? Um, so catch us up now so you joined 2013 you know it's now 2022 you know what specifically what what aspect of the fund are you working on i, I believe you're on the small small cap micro cap yep. side if i'm if i'm
1: if i'm correct i'm um so so our so pender Fund actually is a uh, uh, we manage multiple asset classes we have public equity uh fixed income uh alternatives and and also private equity so i am uh, mostly working on the um uh, public equity side and helping Dave managing uh, the small cap universe, uh, small cap opportunities fund, um, which has been, you know, existing since 2009 and um, uh, had a, you know, a pretty good track record. So, um, and and, and now, we do keep <laughs> keep going? Um, so, but <laughs> but we we are a very collaborative uh, organization, and there's a lot of. Um, um, uh, you know, um, discussions between teams. And so we can, you know, um, through each other investment ideas and, and helping actually companies to grow from private companies uh, to public and, and all that. So it's a it's a very um, wholesome and comprehensive uh, picture over there.
0: I'd like to take a quick second to tell you about this episode sponsor quarter. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world, straight from your pocket for no cost. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. The first step on this journey is to let you, the user, interact with the company's content while you're listening. Visit your app store of choice and try it out today by searching for quarter. And that's Q-U-A-R-T-R. Now back to the show. Well, talk to me a little bit, you know, um, on, on, you know, small cap opportunity side here. I mean, you know, we're doing this interview on, uh, what's today, Tuesday, June 14th. Um, you know, literally the news just came out yesterday that we are now officially in a recession. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is kind of one of those times when a lot of micro cap and small cap investors, where we're kind of licking our chops saying, all right, let's time to dig in and find some stuff. Because on the news side, I mean, we're seeing, you know, there's a lot of companies reporting quality earnings, you know, on this micro cap, small cap side. And it's just literally falling on deaf ears, right? Like it, nobody cares, um, which is, in my opinion potentially an opportunity for for you know folks to kind of dig a little deeper so i mean what, what are you seeing on your end
1: yeah exactly actually um you know we uh um we're quite excited about um uh, today's market because as you just mentioned you see the uh the fundamental of business are still growing and progressing but um the uh, the um the market doesn't really give any credit and they even discount growth, especially non-profitable, like um, um not profitable growth, um to like negative value almost. I I've been seeing companies trading like with uh, consistent growth like 40% and trading like at less than one point five times EV revenue, which is basically and um from my experience I've never seen that level. Um but I think this is, um, you know, so that actually provides us a lot of opportunities and get us excited because we understand how small cap works. And um, if you look at history, I'm not saying history repeats itself, but it it does rhyme, right? So if you look at history, um, small cap actually tend to outperform whenever like leading out of the the recession. Like if you look at the 12 months or 24 months performance after a market drawdown, um, small cap has pretty good. Uh, Performance and the reason, I guess, one of the reasons could be because small cap is quite. um, Companies are very adaptive, and uh, they they actually manage crisis sometimes better than large um, their large peers, and especially in this in today's environment because of the all the all the hype of inflation, right? All the unexpected inflationary environment. so in this type of environment a, a company it, like what do company do to survive right so they need to be really adaptable on their cost structure and they need they really need to have the pricing power and competitive modes so that they could keep the girl like the revenue growing so on the top line you have you need to keep your growth on the on the bottom line you have to be able to control your cost and for established companies sometimes it's really hard to to do, it's really hard to turn a big ship around. So, uh, so I I feel like a lot of software, especially in the software space, right? Because your your costs are um, are um, most variable costs, not really fixed cost. So you could probably adjust that quickly. Um, and and small cap uh, has the um, the natural advantage of doing that. Um, and 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 small cap um, tends to trade like in the Historically, on average, it should be at a premium to large cap because of risk levels, right? So so now they're actually um, got actually trading at a, a pretty big valuation gap um, below the large caps. So so if you think about the mean to reversion, the multiple re-rating, plus the growth of the underlying business, that's a, quite a dramatic uh, growth trajectory um, there. And um, so I, I think for companies that have like can adapt them and the management team, um, like with an adaptable and capable management team that can steer through this crisis with a healthy balance sheet for sure. And because the cost of capital uh, definitely goes up, if you don't have a healthy balance sheet, probably you're like, you probably deteriorate pretty fast. Um, And um, I think those type of business actually are going to weather through the stock market and um, generate pretty good return for us. And that's where actually we, we we look for.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I would assume it during this time also you're speaking with management teams quite often just because there's, there's all, yeah, you could see on, you know, through all the statements and press releases, you know, what they might be doing to manage some of the costs and kind of steer through what's going mm-hmm. on right now. But now is where management is by far most important. Because when you're seeing some of these macro pressures, recession pressures, inflation, you know, that's yeah. where you want to understand from them. Okay, what is your plan? So, I mean, have you just been talking with management nonstop just to kind of see how they're doing it? What are some of the things that they're telling you?
1: So we do we do see, and uh, we do talk to management constant like uh, um, quite regularly and um, uh, not, not just because of this downturn <laughs> that's our, um, you know, part of our uh, investment process. And um, um, some of them are very transparent. I actually really like the transparency of some of them, right? Because they, they're not just telling me uh, as a shareholder what they're going to do, but they're actually um, talking about their plans on the conference calls. So every shareholders or everybody who's interested in their company can know what, what their plan is, right? So, for example, um, you know, one of the software companies, local Vancouver software companies we have in, in, in the portfolio, they actually uh, announced um, a layoff of uh, 20% of their employees um, in Q1 because they feel like their cost structure are not uh, really the, the optimized. But the way they did it is very inspiring, I, I feel, because they are very transparent about it. They told everybody about it. And then they actually listed all the names of the, um, um, the, the laid off employees on their website and trying to help them to, to land the next job. So this type of transparency and support of the company does demonstrate the culture they have. So um, I I think culture is very important in small cap companies because you're so small and, and, you know, especially the culture from the top people from the management does have a lot of influence um, on, on everybody in, in within that company. So that's one of the examples. And the other examples is just this morning, we had a company reported and um, they showed a little bit of girls slow down, but they were very clear of their steps, like what they're going to do to address this, right? They're going to actually move one of their sales, like top um, managers to one of the regions where they see the slowing growth to accelerate the growth there and um, and at the same time they are, are trying to optimize cost structures and put uh, price increases in one of their like in, for, for their hardware and their services because they have never raised prices uh, while their competitors have raised prices um, in the last couple of years already so they, they laid out the plans and that, that gave investors a bit more confidence right because at least they know what they want to do
0: So in your opinion, you know, as we were kind of, we're looking at this, you know, seeing the macro outlook, but even before this, you know, we, we all saw, you know, our, our index, you know, that that's kind of the main data point that I look at, you know, we're, it's down over 15% year to date. Um, So we've been seeing that micro caps, small caps have been getting hit, you know, and this, this was all coming, but for you, I mean, you mentioned a couple of things already, but when, when you're looking at some of the companies in the portfolio or just even potentially new names, what are some of the things that you're kind of hoping to see from, from these managed teams, from these companies, uh, that, that make it either interesting to them, put more money in or even some red flags. You're like, you know what, maybe we'll exit this position for now and redeploy this capital to something else.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, last year in Canada, there was a boom of IPOs, right. And, and, um, Tech IPOs. I mean, in in the tech sector, we never seen that so many tech IPOs in one year. Actually, I think there's some reports saying the um, the total number of tech IPOs in last year uh, is more than the total number of IPOs in the last nine to twelve years in Canada. That was crazy, right? So we uh, we as a, a, a good like, you know, people know us in the in the small tech small cap tech, tech space in Canada. So typically, we would be invited into their. Um, uh, you know their their pre pre show meetings and uh, test water meetings and then their their uh, IPO road show meetings and 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 then invite us to be to be investors. But at the time when we look at the business and uh, the valuation and some of the companies we we really like their business but we don't like the valuation. So we didn't we didn't actually jump right in. But then things suddenly changed. Everything is, uh, is like, it's bad. It's like, no, people don't give any credit to growth. So all these IPOs had, um, you know, they, their price dropped, some some of them dropped like 80, 90%. So when we when we look at these companies, so and we're trying to see, okay, like does anything fundamentally change? Have their economic, like unit economics changed? Like their cost of ac- customer acquisitions changed or, or like is there still technology still help the world doing things better and cheaper? Like is this something that really can work in a long time or, or only like transitory, only 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 during COVID? Um so so we, we, we try to assess like a lot of assessments are um quite qualitative and, and, and not really quantitative, not really from numbers. Um and, and then we talk with investors, we talk with a management team, we talk with their customers. And we try to, you know, get all the information we can. And and then we realize, you know, we come to a conclusion that some of these businesses are still great business. And they have a lot of cash on the balance sheet that could actually um you know help them through this time period, or even, you know, they can even grow because they have this dry potter on the balance sheet, they can go on and acquire somebody, right? So but a lot of we, we, we you know, a lot of them are still growing very nicely organically and but they, they do have the dry powder there. And you can see a path to profitability. Um, in a few years. So it's not like you don't see a path to profitability at, at all. It's you, you you could actually see a visible path. You can see how things can improve and 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 scale up and then you can reach a point of break-even, cash flow break-even. So for those type of companies and, and, and of of course the management team, right? We like I said, I really like the management that are capable, adaptable, and transparent. You know, so they like when we talk with them, we get an idea of what they do and um, you know, we, that, that gave us confidence. We actually um, bought a few like a number of IPO names um, from last year just because you know we, we still think they have a pretty good business and uh, the valuation now is in the range that we can't resist.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, for, to take a, a, a quick step back, you know, for, mm-hmm. for those that don't know, Pender Fund is based in, you, you mentioned this earlier, but you guys are based in Vancouver and you focus specifically on, on Canadian on the tech side or, or basically everything non-resource, right? If I'm, if I'm. Yeah. Yeah. That. It's okay.
1: a, it's um it's everything we invest basically, um, non-resource names. Um, but, um, uh, our, you know, um, focus, we're generalist, but with a, uh, focus on tech space. And that's just because our own background. Because you know, Dave started uh, when he did the venture capital is in the tech space, and he personally loves technology. And, and the same with me. I uh, when I when I worked at the Southside, I was a research associate for the tech analyst. Um, you know, and then, and then we just love the space because um, for for myself personally, if when I see something that can help uh, the world to do things better and ch- ten times better and cheaper, and that's That's, you know, really attractive. Like that, that lures me into know more about the business. So.
0: Gotcha. So, you know, talking a little bit more about looking at, you know, kind of the macro, and I think it's needless to say that, you know, uh, Canadian tech IPOs might be just a little down in 2022, especially compared to 2021. Um, But I I remember seeing a chart that a colleague of mine, uh, uh, I think he posted on Twitter, or or he might have sent it to me, but basically talking about how, you know, just looking at liquidity right now, and there's just, it's, it's more or less dried up in, in some of the, and in, in, on the TSX venture. I mean, are you seeing some of the, some of the same things and, you know, how do you think about what, what this might mean when you're looking ahead and looking at potential new ideas or even portfolio companies?
1: I think liquidity is important for us because, uh, our fund, you know, um, although we, we are long-term investors, but, uh, it's the actual, uh, investors that provide us the capital. We don't really have the permanent capital. And so the, the thing we try to do is to really educate our investors that this is, you know, this is actually a good time to buy, not to sell, not to redeem, right? So, so that way we could have the at least the liquidity on our side to invest on these on these companies. And and I I, I think because we are um you know tech investors and and uh, we have a pretty good relationship with these companies, uh, and, and we do believe we have the confidence that they can do well. So the in in this kind of liquidity crunch time is actually good if we actually have the capital to support them. You know, that actually shows, uh, you know, we we actually have confidence in those type of business. We 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 are we are trying to support them. So and, and I think holding holding the companies for long term that could generate very attractive returns.
0: So another question I have for you, you know, you mentioned that, you know, a generalist, but kind of more of a tech tech yeah. bias. Yeah tech bias um what, what are some of the within tech that you've seen that's been interesting in the last you know year and change that that you think in the long term uh might might have uh, you know a bit more of uh, some runway some moats you know i'd love to hear your answer there
1: um so there what i'm not so Good with general um, discussions <laughs> um, trends and all that. but um, because I am more like a bottom up um, you know type of approach. Um, so from what I see is there's um, I really like the enterprise software space because that's you know where you see a lot of innovation. And, um, and the customer base is, is stickier and, 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 and it's, bit, uh, it's not as finicky as uh, the consumer space, right? The B2C space, the so B2B space is very interesting. And you see a lot of slow changing um, sectors that are actually making some changes. For example, one of the portfolio companies we have is called Copperleaf Technologies. What they do is they actually help um, uh, provide a data-driven Uh, Analytic software for utilities uh, or other asset planning um, decision makers to make their investment decisions better. So it's it's you know if you look at those utilities companies they sometimes do things like very old fashioned they do things on Excel spreadsheets and and but they are dealing with you know billions of dollars like multi million. Of dollars of investment decisions, right? So you don't really want things to go wrong. So actually, Copperleaf provide a, a software that gathers data, provide analytics, and, and and you know give them the tool for them to make better investment decisions. I think that that actually, and, and you see utilities uh, sector actually start to adopt this, and not just utility sectors. They actually making to make inroads into like the water sector. In, in the UK, uh, those water utilities that, as as well, and then there there are other type of sectors that they can go in. So so you, you kind of see this gradual change, and especially now when you know inflation is high, labor costs, material costs are all very high, and you are dealing with supply chain um, issues. So so you you actually for as a decision maker, you probably are going to rely on um data on on software to. Make your process a little bit better, a little bit more efficient, right? This is actually the time for them to digitize things. So, so we 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 kind of see the you know the, the trend of, of going that way. And the other company uh, we res- we invested um, in our portfolio uh, is Kinaxis, which is a supply chain. Uh, planning software. I think uh, probably many, many people have heard of them and they are uh, providing like a concurrent um, supply chain planning software and and they they are quite um, um, uh, unique and advanced in in that way compared to the um, incumbent of, uh, you know, the SAP, um, those those type of uh, ERP software.
0: Got it. Yeah, look, the reason I asked is because I wanted to, you know, show that, you know, we weren't just all looking at fintech right um uh, no no it's
1: not just fintech. no
0: you know because it's because I mean obviously like that has been you know the the kind of been front and center on the technology Mm -hmm. side for the last you know eight you know since I think March 2020 right yeah um so that's not to say there aren't interesting ideas in the fintech space but you know
1: there's other stuff there's a lot of going on in the payment industry and and, you know we 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 had a a few um, other holdings that uh, in that space. But um, yeah.
0: Gotcha. So, I mean, for you, what, what experience would, what investing experience, especially since you've joined Pender Fund in 2013, what, what would you say is an investing experience that really taught you the most and was like, Oh, this is small cap. All right. We're, we're in it now. You know, um, I'd love, love to hear an experience. Yeah. Um, I it, it, it's,
1: it's a very good question and it's a hard one to answer because I actually, um, I don't think I had, had any experience that really changed like my career or anything, but but I do I do have things that you know um, mistakes and sometimes mistakes that that make me to re, like reshape my thinking. Um, and and I, I actually you know the famous um, investor Charlie Munger always you know I really like the quote from him you know any year um, that passes in which you don't destroy one of your best loved ideas is a wasted year. So uh, that's that's you know that's that's very well said. And um, um, so there there you know, so when I first um, you know fresh out of school, uh, you know at school you learn a lot of modeling, a lot of numbers, you know how to interpret financial statements and all that. Um, so so I I screwed a little bit more on, on modeling, like I really try to make my forecast. Um, as accurate as it could be, but I, I know it's you know it's 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 precisely wrong most of the time. And then I then started gradually to realize that the numbers are important um, and understanding financial st- statements are important. But what's more important is you actually understand what's the story behind those numbers. Like how do you interpret the numbers, what assumptions you know the, for all the assumptions you need to understand it and, and make sense out of it. You need to have your own story. Of the um, investment, so so that that makes sense. Um, and so it's and, and so I would rather be considered a business analyst than a financial analyst. So um, you know, to, to when when you look at a, a company, you know, um, it's better to look at it from a from the business quality perspective. It's more uh, qualitative than, than the quantity, you know, quantitative approach. Um, I think that that changed my my thinking um, so gradually i have my i build up my own way of evaluating a company and the other um mistakes i learned from is i i think it's an important lesson for for myself is you're trying to um hold on to compounders a bit longer and trying to sell um to say bye <laughs> to the close of discount um stories uh, quicker so so you probably are not familiar. Uh, for people who are not familiar with the terms compounders and, and coded discount, um, I'll just explain it a bit better here because that's that's how we at Pender uh, categorized the type of business. Um, you know the the two type of different types of business. So the compounders are business that uh, can compound their intrinsic value in the mid-teen or, or better, and they can they have a a really solid business fundamental of a mode that can last like um can last them for for a pretty long time and and for those type of business you know we our our philosophy is to buy low and let grow so don't touch them (laughs) and for the close discount um stories are typically is a you know it's an okay business but at really cheap price and maybe there's some catalyst um coming to close the discount you, you do see that there's a discount a gap between the discount between the price and the value and and, and there's a, a apparent catalyst to close that discount and for those type of business you know it's like buy low and sell high like you just want to like it's more like a trade type of um, opportunity for us so so the the when we look at the, the, these two different type of businesses, um, for compounders, we tend to, at least myself, being on the conservative side, I tend to underestimate the bull the case scenarios. Sometimes it actually runs through my bull case and I'm like, oh, it's too expensive, we should sell it. But these good business actually surprise you on the upside. They just keep continue going on and they have, some, especially when they have some, you know, um, free optionalities that where they try different things and, and one thing actually works. And that's like big so that's become the main revenue driver which you probably would never seen it previously you never would expect that could happen and that's just the magic of of the compounding so you should probably uh, for myself like i think i should hold on to it don't be too cheap don't like okay it's 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 like it's already runs through bouquet scenario and then then we should sell it um so on the other end of the spectrum the closer discount stories sometimes also surprise us, but on the on the negative side, so they, they actually the things deteriorate a lot faster than you expect. And but you're like, oh, I how how bad it could be? It's, it's already pretty bad. How worse? <laughs> but but then you realize, okay, there's actually no, um, you know, you don't see um, any catalyst coming. Um, you don't you don't you don't know when this can be like the discount would be closed. You just keep dragging and dragging the revenue decline and all that. So it's you know it's there's no point of keep holding on to it um the longer you hold on to it the more opportunity costs are the 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 return will be diminish diminishing as well with time right so um you know that's that's something i learned but i i i think i still need to improve on those things because it's sometimes it's hard to tell when to buy when to sell
0: especially right now right i mean like that's (laughs) an incredible lesson to have to bring into what what's going on right now i mean in your recent uh q1 letter that you just put out it's you know you've mentioned that the opportunities were focused on finding higher quality businesses and kind of letting the you know not even necessarily the losers but just you know the lower quality business models yeah. go and that's a that's that still takes so much discipline because you know there was a reason that you got into that that you invested in that business to begin with you thought okay this might be on the higher parking, quality yeah. you know this might work you know so that, that that's incredibly difficult people maybe sometimes don't don't uh, maybe take that a little bit for granted
1: yeah it's actually where we're doing right now we're uh, kind of upgrading the quality of our whole portfolio um you know uh, trying to get rid of the uh, um the slow grinding <laughs> names but um you know trying to figure out like getting into the more quality names so that that way we could have a portfolio that you know, we probably don't really need to touch that often, and still grow pretty nicely for our shareholders, for our unit holders.
0: Do you have any? Do you have any fear of it getting too concentrated during times
1: like these? Um, No, because uh, we we actually uh, uh, still hold um, like a good fifty we, uh, names. And, and um, I was gonna say you yeah. guys have a lot yeah. of
0: holdings, but I, yeah. I, 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 I figure I ask why not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um I mean. It, it, if i i have to ask you know of the lower quality now i'm not gonna ask you to name names obviously mm-hmm. like but but i mean what are what are some of the characteristics of quote unquote the yeah, lower you're, quality you're, that you're kind of like you know maybe yeah. we'll revisit this in different times yeah
1: sure i think um at a time like this um the first thing to evaluate is probably the balance balance sheet uh, risks because you don't you really want to avoid catastrophic risk right you don't so bankruptcy and, and if, if this company has two high leverage and they're still bleeding they don't make make any cash and they're bleeding cash and they don't have a lot of money on the balance sheet and um, if you see there they and they don't have a, a good growth trajectory so for those type of business you, you, you want to get rid of them um, right so I guess because we what we're trying to do is trying to uh, mitigate downside risks for the whole portfolio as well and um, um, the other not not, not not necessarily relates to today's environment, but in general, I think some of the red flags or yellow flags you look for um, a business quality deterioration is uh, you know you look at the growth right If you if you look at the growth, they're kind of declining and they're still spending a lot though in sales and marketing or in research then that means either you know they, they their, their product probably people don't really like it right So there's no good product market fit. So although they spend a lot of money, you still don't see the growth. And and the other things, um, other things you you might want to look is the margin profile, like gross margin. If you see declining gross margin, um, I I would think that's a bad sign because um, that that either means you know the costs are are too high, you can't really you don't have the pricing power to transfer the, the cost to 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 your consumers or um, and then, or you're your your because of com- competition, and you have to lower your price, so squeeze your margin, right? So that's not a, a good thing um, either way, right? So those those are um, some of the the warnings signs you want you want you want to see. And if you see management suddenly change their tones, right? They 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 probably used to give a lot of KPIs, and suddenly they don't disclose that, <laughs> and they don't have anything to replace, though. they will say, okay we don't think these are appropriate things for us to disclose, but they don't give you other KPIs to replace these ones. So that that means they probably have something bad to hide. But they're subtle, subtle things.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a a pretty quality list. I mean, in times like these, I mean, how much more weight do you give to margin um, uh, uh, shrinkage, I guess you say, (laughs) margin shrinkage versus, let's say, you know, quarter over quarter, you know, Revenue going down, right? Like, what? How much weight do you give to either one? Um, in, in times like um, these,
1: I think it really uh, depends. Um, you know what? What's the situation is, right? Sometimes the the revenue grows. If you see the growth coming down or slowing down, it may not be a problem. it may, it may be because I um in the last couple, few years, like we see companies going through the SaaS transition, so they have on premise software where they they want to transition to to um, to SaaS and then during that transition you actually see the, the girls coming down because they're trying to transit right so so if if in that in that type of situation actually the the girls slowing down is not necessarily a bad thing. It just happens that way. But then you, you can see like a tick up uh, later on once they, they complete the transition actually that could be a good buying opportunity because the market view those as bad things while well, they actually have a legit reason for it right so but for margin compression you know it's a bit more um i think it, for myself i i took that more seriously and i would i really want to dig into why the margin actually declined and sometimes it's because the um, uh, the data cost more right because but then that doesn't and doesn't really make sense because when, when you have bigger scale you're your, um, you know, public cloud, those type of um, costs actually should come down a little bit. Um, but some companies they actually have a usage related um, uh, cost structure. So, so they actually they they, they charge the same um, subscription price to their consu- like customers, but their usage as part of the cost structure would come up because. Consumers like customer use more of their platform. It's a good thing, but then on the cost side, you have to pay more for your data usage to the public cloud uh, providers like uh, Amazon and, right. and all, all this, right? So, so it's really depends on the situation. It's just, it's not a, a one-size-fit-all answer. Gotcha. I'm
0: I, no, I'm I'm more just thinking about uh, you know uh, this. See, this is why I'm not on CNBC. I have margin shrinkage, you know, versus margin compression. <laughs> you know, the, you you should be on there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, th- I think, you know, we, we've covered quite a bit today. I mean, is there anything that we're missing that you feel that, you know, our investor audience should know, um, what, you know, going through these times and, and understanding how to maybe look at their portfolios, especially if they're in micro caps, you know, what is any any final, you know, words of wisdom or advice that folks should really, when they're thinking about their portfolios, and maybe even looking at potential investments right now?
1: sure i think an ideal like this is probably a time where you can find your ideal investment so when, when i say ideal investment that means you know an investment that you can buy it now and just leave it in your coffee can portfolio you don't need to touch it you never lose sleep and many years later you have you you, you you've done pretty good and uh, you know it's a pretty good return um generated by this by this type of names um so so the quality of business is something you really want to um, spend a lot of time on, and and and, and um, it, it's it's uh, it's pretty hard um, to make a prediction that these type of business are going to flourish for the next twenty years, right? So, but but you, you have to try, right? And and I think on this course, um, and you always remember there's a difference between price and value. You want to pay a price you know the, the price you pay should be lower than the value of the company so the price and the value are two different things don't mix them together um, and, um, and 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 then you, you have to think about risk um, you know whenever you talk about returns the the risk is, is always there you have to think about you know um risks like what, what type of risks are associated with this and um is it, it, this at an acceptable level acceptable level for you. It's not um you, you're not because you don't want to lose sleep on this, right? On your investment. Um for any new investors, um you know, or any new any people that that, that really loved to do the investing themselves uh, or, or want to learn more about investing, I think um, you know, the the reading, like read and read and read, and <laughs> that's that's one of the top things I would recommend. Uh, we actually have a, a book recommendation uh, blog uh, on our website where you can you can get a lot of um, really good um, book names that that if you really want to explore. And you know along the way, you will make a lot of mistakes. Um, and, and don't don't be afraid. I think investing is a very um, humbling experience. Um, especially during the market downturns like this, right? Uh, I remember back in 20 March 2020, um, you know, many things happened and took a turn at the time when you least expected. You 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 just you just don't know. And um, um so so don't don't just stay open minded, be adaptable. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Just just learn from and hopefully you don't make it twice. But we are all oh, humans, we, we are probably have a tendency to make the same mistake twice. But at least you you should be cognizant of your own um you know weakness and, and trying to find your strengths, trying to find an edge. And that that's where you can generate a better than market returns, is where you have an edge, whether it's analytical or, or whether it's behavioral, right? If you're more patient than other people, you probably could write it out the tough times and, and make a good return. So um you know just don't don't be afraid
0: very good well sharon with that where can our audience go and find more information about you follow you and your insights as well as uh penderfund
1: um you can find me at um um the uh under the the team profile at penderfund.com and i i'm a i'm typically you know uh i really good with emails but we do get have a lot of emails coming through our inbox but but if you have any questions feel free to, to reach out
0: um, yeah. Very good. Well, Sharon, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next update.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Thank you.
0: podcast. podcast.